Welcome to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds, a weekly podcast for pharmacists, physicians, physician assistants, and nurse practitioners who are interested in learning more about clinical pharmacology topics. I'm your host, Sarah Thompson, Director of Pharmacy Education and Academic Affairs at Mayo Clinic. To claim pharmacology CE credit or to get a copy of presentation slides, visit ce.mayo.edu slash pharmacy podcast. Significant advancements in heart failure treatment have led to a marked improvement in patient outcomes. One common consequence of heart failure is iron deficiency, a condition that impacts both morbidity and mortality of patients. Today's discussion with pharmacist Will Carnes will review the potential benefits of replacing iron intravenously in cases of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction through a comparison of recent literature, guideline recommendations, and practical considerations of different iron formulations. Heart failure is a complex medical syndrome posing significant challenges to healthcare systems and patients. In recent years, Pharmacologic advances have been made, leading to our four pillars of treatment, decreasing morbidity and mortality in this population. Still, in addition to these medications, there are other treatments available for specific patients to better control their heart failure. Today, I will be discussing the benefits of IV iron and how it may provide further management of heart failure for our patients. Objectives for this presentation include, by the end of this presentation, you should be able to interpret iron studies to determine if a patient is iron deficient, identify the role in IV iron treatment in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction through the major clinical trials, and create an IV iron treatment plan based on patient and specific factors. First, going over a brief background of heart failure. Simply put, this is a disease characterized by the difficulty of the heart to fill or reject blood due to structural or functional impairments. This is further broken down into classifications based on the remaining ejection fraction with heart failure with preserved ejection fraction at greater than 50%, heart failure with mildly reduced or mid-reduced ejection fraction at 40 to 49%, and heart failure with reduced ejection fraction at less than 40%. For this presentation, I'll be focusing on the population with reduced ejection fraction since this is a population that has been most studied in our literature. Heart failure is a common disease state. As of 2020, 6.7 million adults in the United States had a diagnosis of heart failure. And of these, about 50% have heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, and another 50% have iron deficiency. Iron deficiency has been shown to have negative health impacts on patients, as iron is an important factor for many metabolic processes such as erythropoiesis, oxygen transportation through hemoglobin production, and inflammatory responses. Disruption of these processes leads to the symptoms commonly seen in iron deficiency, such as ex exercise intolerance, both an increased and longer duration of hospitalization, and overall increase in morbidity and mortality. One key important point of these negative outcomes, though, is that they occur independent of anemia, so a patient with a normal hemoglobin may still experience these negative effects. Overall, there are two types of iron deficiency. The first, absolute, which represents a reduction in total iron body stores, and the second, functional, in which the iron cannot move in and out of the cell into the plasma. With both types of these iron deficiency, an important regulatory hormone called hepcidin um, plays a role in furthering each of these types. Walking through the mechanism here, 
Iron is an essential nutrient that is highly regulated by the body since buildup can lead to reactive oxidation um, reactions, damaging tissues. This absorption of iron takes place in the duodenum, where roughly 5 to 35% is absorbed um, when consumed orally. In heart failure, this absorption may be decreased due to a reduction of nutrient intake, blood or GI losses, or a buildup of gut edema. This leads to an absolute iron deficiency in which our losses are greater than that that is absorbed. The iron that does get absorbed enters the plasma through a transfer of protein called ferroportin 1. And excess iron is stored within the hepatocytes in the liver or in reticular endothelial cells, such as macrophages, to be used when needed. Heart failure is a chronic inflammatory condition in which hepatic production of hepcidin is upregulated in response to pro-inflammatory cytokines, mainly interleukin-6, which then exerts its effects on these ferroportin transporters, causing cellular uptake and destruction and blocking iron from moving into the plasma. This further decreases absorption through the duodenum, leading to a worsening of absolute iron deficiency and also causes a functional iron deficiency in which the iron stored within the cells cannot be used. The next question then is how do we identify who is iron deficient? And really, we only need to look at two main factors, first being the ferritin, which is a storage protein of iron that binds iron in its non-toxic form. This protein correlates strongly to our total body iron stores um, in non-inflammatory states with one microgram representing around 10 milligrams of tissue iron. However, as previously mentioned on the previous slides, iron is a chronic inflammatory state. Therefore, we also need to assess another factor, the transferrin saturation, or TSAT. TSAT is a ratio of the serum iron concentration divided by the total iron binding capacity, or which simply put, is a measure of how much iron can be bound for the body to use. Once we have our ferritin and transferrin saturation, we can then identify deficiency. And the most widely accepted diagnosis of iron deficiency in heart failure is a seroferritin of less than 100 or a seroferritin of 100 to 300 and a transferrin saturation of less than 20%. In deciding if we should be treating a patient for iron deficiency, the next step is then to consider hemoglobin status to look for any reversible causes first, such as an active bleed. However, regardless of anemia, patients may still qualify to be treated for iron deficiency. Caution should, however, be used if a patient's hemoglobin is greater than 15 to avoid hyperviscosity syndrome and the overproduction of red blood cells. Obtaining these iron studies is recommended by both our major guidelines, starting with the AHA ACC, which recommends obtaining iron studies in addition to many other routine labs, and our ESC European guidelines, specifically calling out obtaining ferritin and transferrin saturation for heart failure patients. The definition of iron deficiency of ferritin of less than 100 or 100 to 300 in transferrin saturation of less than 20% is supported by both these guidelines. This brings us to our first patient case question. GT, a 67-year-old male with a history of heart failure with reduced ejection fraction at 35%, type 2 diabetes, and hypertension is admitted to the hospital for an acute heart failure exacerbation. Vital signs are listed on the slide there, and important laboratory values include serum creatinine of 1.1, a hemoglobin of 13.2, a ferritin of 190, and a transparent saturation of 17%. The question is, based on AHA, ACC, and ESC guidelines, would GT meet criteria for iron deficiency? 
Options are A, no, GT's ferritin is greater than 100. B, no, GT's hemoglobin is greater than 13. C, yes, GT's ferritin is less than 200. Or D, yes, GT's ferritin is less than 300 and transparent saturation is less than 20%. Right, and it looks like the answers have started to slow down a little bit. Um, and most people went with option D, which is the correct answer. So just talking through the other answers, Option A is incorrect, as since ferritin is a representation of our total body iron stores, a higher ferritin would correlate to um, a less iron deficient patient. And our definition has a ferritin of less than 100, not greater than 100. B is incorrect, as um, hemoglobin may be important to consider when treating a patient for iron deficiency and anemia. However, irrespective of hemoglobin status, um, our iron deficiency doesn't actually include hemoglobin in it. C is incorrect, as while it's true that GT's ferritin is less than 200, um, a ferritin of less than 200 on its own isn't enough to meet iron deficiency criteria. We would also need an accompanying transparent saturation, which makes option choice D the correct answer. Moving then onto the second objective of this presentation, shown here is a timeline of the major clinical studies conducted starting in 2009 all the way up to 2023, evaluating iron deficiency in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. But before moving on to the studies, first I want to make a point of why we're discussing today specifically IV iron and not oral iron. And this is due to two main factors. First, oral iron has not been shown to be effective in repeating iron in heart failure patients through clinical trials, likely due to many of those factors we discussed on previous slides impacting absorption. And second, oral iron is not well tolerated with up to 40% of patients experiencing gastrointestinal side effects such as nausea, abdominal cramping, and diarrhea. Therefore, in patients with heart failure, the routine use of oral iron is not recommended. Moving then into our first study, we have the 2009 Barry Chuck trial, which was a prospective, randomized, double-blinded, placebo-controlled study, including ambulatory patients with a New York Heart Association class of two or three, iron deficiency defined by our standard definition, and a hemoglobin of 9.5 to 13.5. Baseline characteristics for this study were representative of a typical patient we would see in practice, and the intervention was an iron product called ferrocarboxymaltose, dosed over three to seven weeks, and then every four weeks, compared to placebo with normal saline. The primary outcome was a patient global assessment conducted at 24 weeks, which is a questionnaire focused on having the patient assess an improvement or worsening of their symptoms, and New York Heart Association class which is a provider-assessed symptomatic measure of heart failure based on status at rest or with exercise. Secondary outcomes included the primary at weeks 4 and 12 intervals, as well as a six-minute walk test at weeks 4, 12, and 24 weeks. When looking at the results of this trial, all endpoints were statistically significant, favoring the fair carboxymaltose group, both at the primary at week 24 and at each week interval that was assessed, as shown by the figure to the right. These results were promising as this was one of the first major trials to evaluate the effects of IV iron in heart failure and improvements were seen in patient symptoms, quality of life, and exercise capacity. Still, more data was needed to assess the full benefits of IV iron, which led to the confirmed trial in 2015. This trial included ambulatory patients with a New York Heart Association class of two or three, a left ventricular ejection fraction of less than 45%, Presence of iron deficiency, again using our standard definition, hemoglobin less than 15, 
and elevated BNP or NTBNP, which is a marker of heart failure. Baseline characteristics for this trial were similar to those in the FAIR-HF, and FAIR-carboxymaltose was once again used, this time dose at baseline in week 6, with a maintenance dose at weeks 12, 24, and 36 if needed. The outcomes for this trial were flipped from the FAIR-HF trial, with the 6-minute walk test now as the primary, and a change in New York Heart Association and patient global assessment now as secondary outcomes. In addition, another outcome of hospitalization due to worsening heart failure was added to be assessed at week 52. Results for this trial were also positive, meeting the primary endpoint for both week 24 and 52, showing a significant reduction in hospitalizations and favoring fair carboxymaltose in improvements for New York Heart Association and patient global assessment at week 52. So this trial built upon the evidence of FAIR-HF by showing a more objective primary endpoint using longer duration of follow-up and using a higher single dose of iron for supplementation. In addition to the benefits seen in FAIR-HF, the new potential benefit of a reduction in hospitalizations was founded with this trial. These two trials were then included in a 2017 meta-analysis of four total randomized control studies, which showed a large reduction in a combined endpoint of rates of recurrent heart failure hospitalization and cardiovascular mortality and individual rates of heart failure hospitalization, but did not find an overall significant reduction in cardiovascular mortality. This caused the focus to shift on evaluating the effects of intravenous iron on hospitalizations and mortality with the AFFIRM AHF trial in 2020. This trial assessed patients with iron deficiency who were hospitalized for acute heart failure at a left ventricular ejection fraction of less than 50%, and a hemoglobin of 8 to 15. Baseline characteristics for this trial were similar to the other two discussed today, and patients in the intervention group received a dose of paracarboxymaltose prior to discharge and again six weeks later with a redose at 12 and 24 weeks if still meeting criteria for iron deficiency. The primary outcome was a composite of total heart failure hospitalizations and cardiovascular death up to 52 weeks and secondary outcomes included individual components of the primary. What was found in this study was that the primary and cardiovascular deaths did not meet statistical significance. However, heart failure hospitalizations were found to be statistically reduced. Another important point of this trial was that it concluded around the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, which may have affected some of the results. Due to this, a pre-specified COVID-19 analysis excluding patients at the time of outbreak um, did meet statistical significance for the primary outcome and showed an even greater benefit of the fair maltose group on reduction of hospitalizations with a relative risk of 0.70. This study was important as it was the first to assess the benefit of IV iron in acutely hospitalized patients and showed a reduction of hospitalizations with IV iron. However, once again, no difference in cardiovascular mortality was seen. Next on the list was Ironman in 2022 evaluating ambulatory patients with a left ventricular ejection fraction of less than 45%, a ferritin of less than 100, or transparent saturation of less than 20%, which is slightly different than our standard iron deficiency definition, hemoglobin of greater than 9, and less than 13 in females, or less than 14 in males. One notable baseline characteristic compared to the other trials is a lower percentage of female patients that were included which may decrease overall generalizability in actual practice as female sex is a risk factor for iron deficiency. This trial is also unique in that it used a new product, Berry Dairy Samaltose, which was dosed by body weight and hemoglobin, 
um, initially and then every four months after assessment if patient met criteria for iron deficiency, which was ferritin of less than 100 or less than 400 and transparent saturation of less than 25%, which is also different from our iron deficiency um, definition. The primary outcome was, was cardiovascular death or hospitalization, and secondary outcomes included cardiovascular death or hospital admission for stroke, myocardial infarction, or heart failure, and separately, all-cause mortality and hospitalization for infection. Like the affirm AHF trial, this trial was also affected by the COVID pandemic, so two separate analyses were done to account for this. Looking first at the entire study population, the primary endpoint fell just short of statistical significance. The secondary endpoint of cardiovascular death or hospitalization admission due to cardiovascular disease was shown to be reduced in the dairy somaltose group, and no difference was found in all-cause mortality or hospitalization for infection. Looking then into the COVID sensitivity analysis, the primary outcome was shown to be statistically different, benefiting the ferric dairy somaltose group, and a benefit was also seen for the endpoint of cardiovascular death or hospitalization for stroke, myocardial infarction, or heart failure. The key takeaways from this trial include that it was the first major study to evaluate an iron product other than ferric carboxymaltose, indicating that other iron products may be effective in replacing iron in heart failure with similar benefits. The outcomes met were driven mainly by hospitalization, adding to the evidence of benefit of IV iron on reduction of hospitalization, but not cardiovascular death, and a few limitations that may have led to the entire cohort not meeting the primary outcome include the effect from the COVID-19 pandemic, as well as 17% of the control group receiving IV iron, which may have diminished comparative benefit. Finally, our newest study, part FID in 2023, was a randomized double-blinded multinational trial that included ambulatory patients with a left ventricular ejection fraction of less than 40%, hemoglobin greater than nine and less than 13.5 if female or 15 if male, um, using the standard ID iron deficiency definition and patients who have had a recent hospitalization in the past 12 months or elevated BNP. A few baseline characteristics different from this study was again a higher percentage of male patients and also a higher percentage of transparent saturation in the overall population compared to other studies. Patients in the intervention group received fair carboxymaltose dosed by body weight and with a redose every six months based on hemoglobin and iron studies. Primary outcome was a hierarchical composite of death within 12 months, hospitalization for heart failure, and six-minute walk test with secondary outcomes including composite the time of the first event of cardiovascular deaths or heart failure hospitalization. So while the study did show a numerical benefit in each of the group, in the iron group, it did not meet statistical significance for the primary with a p-value of 0.019 or for the secondary with a p-value of greater than 0.04. Since this was the largest study to date with over 3,000 patients evaluating IV iron in heart failure, the trial did have a stricter p-value set of 0.01 instead of the traditional 0.05. Additionally, the population having an overall transparent saturation may have led to a diminished benefit with the use of IV iron. And finally, the impact of COVID may have affected results, leading to it to not meet its primary endpoints. So that was a lot of studies that we talked over today, but just to summarize all of these, the benefits found in these major trials of giving IV iron in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction iron deficiency includes improvement in exercise capacity, 
quality of life, and a reduction of heart failure symptoms, as shown by the FAIR-HF confirmed and affirmed trials, possible hospitalization reduction, as shown by our confirmed, affirmed, and Ironman trials, but no reduction in overall cardiovascular mortality, as shown by affirmed, Ironman, and heart FID trials. In its current state, IV iron does have a role in our treatment guidelines, starting at the top with our AHA-ACC, where IV iron is recommended as a reasonable replacement um, to improve functional status and quality of life in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction iron deficient patients. The ESC guidelines have slightly stronger recommendations with a class 1A recommendation for any IV iron product to be used in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction to improve symptoms and quality of life and also mentions fair carboxymaltose and fair pericymaltose separately as consideration to reduce the risk of hospitalization in our patients. In June of this year, the first IV iron product, fair carboxymaltose, was approved by the FDA for treatment of iron deficiency for New York Heart Association class two or three patients to improve exercise capacity. So this brings us to our second assessment question of the presentation. Which of the following is a potential benefit of IV iron supplementation in heart failure with reduced ejection fraction iron deficiency as evidenced by the literature discussed? A, reduces one-year mortality. B, improves symptoms and quality of life. C, improves ejection fraction. Or D, reduces the need for diuretics. Looks like the answers are slowing down a little bit and um, got a lot of option, answers for option B, which is the correct answer. So talking through the other answers, for option A, all of our major clinical trials did not show a difference in mortality when giving IV iron in iron deficient patients. Option C and D were not outcomes that were assessed in any of these trials, so they are also the incorrect answers, making option B, improvement in symptoms and quality of life, the correct answer. The final portion of this presentation will focus on comparing the types of IV iron products that are available, as additional factors are important when selecting products for our patients, such as safety, cost, and convenience of each product. Shown here is data of IV iron products used across the entire Mayo enterprise from January 1st, 2021 to August 31st, 2022. As shown on the slide, the two most used products across the enterprise are iron sucrose, followed by iron dextran, and then coming in third, ferrium oxytol, followed by ferrocarboxymaltose and sodium ferroglucidate. Historically, there have been concerns with infusion-related reactions when giving iron intravenously, and so Mayo does have a adverse reaction reporting system in which an adverse reaction is defined as an unexpected, undesired, or unintended effect from a medication that could not have been prevented and includes one of the following, hospitalization, prolonged length of stay, an antidote, fatality, or permanent disability. Of the over 49,000 IV iron administrations from January 2021 to August 2022, only 49 total adverse reactions were reported, which would be a rate of less than 0.1%. Using this data, we can calculate the number needed to harm or the number of treatments needed to cause one adverse drug reaction in a single patient. Looking at this, we have a number of 261 in our iron dextran population, 513 for ferrium 1,815 for fair carboxymaltose, and 1,866 for iron sucrose, showing an overall safety of iron products used within the Mayo Enterprise. Moving then on to cost, listed here is a price comparison per gram of each product, and as shown in the table, the uh, fair dairy and fair carboxymaltose are the most expensive, 
at over $1,000 per gram, ferrumoxifol and iron dextran are in the hundreds of dollars per gram, and iron sucrose and sodium ferrogluconate are around $100 per gram, making them our most cost-effective option. Ferrocterism maltose is not currently present on our Mayo formulary, and so going forward for presentation, I will just talk about the five products that are available. So this table shows the dosing of each of the IV iron products available within the Mayo system. First, looking at iron dextran, a test dose is required of 25 milligrams prior to giving the remaining 975 milligram dose. And this is really due to risk of infusion reactions um, with pre-medication considered for some patients who would be at high risk of reactions. Patients at high risk would include those with multiple drug allergies, a previous reaction to IV iron, a history of inflammatory bowel disease, or uncontrolled asthma or COPD. Iron sucrose and sodium ferrogluconate are similar in that they each require smaller doses spaced over multiple days to achieve a full dose due to the amount of labile iron present in them. Iron sucrose does have the advantage over ferrogluconate in that doses of 100 to 400 milligrams may be used, though more caution is warranted if using 400 milligrams and considerations with pre-medication similar to iron dextran um, may be used in doses of 400 milligrams or greater. Sodium ferrogluconate is given in separate doses of eight total 125 milligram doses. Ferrocarboxymaltose is convenient and can be given over one dose in patients weighing more than 50 kilograms, though it does have a unique adverse side effect of hypophosphatemia. And finally, ferrumoxifol can be given in two separate doses spaced three days apart. But each of these products has their own pros and cons when selecting which one to use for our patients. To summarize these benefits, starting first with iron dextran, it does have the benefit of being a cheaper option and a full dose can be given over one hour. However, it does have a black box warning for anaphylaxis and as mentioned previously, a test dose is required and premedication may be considered for some patients. Additionally, there have yet to be any studies of iron dextran in our um, heart failure population. Iron sucrose is one of our cheapest options, has been shown to be safe through Mayo adverse reaction reports, and does have some small-scale trials of its use in heart failure. However, the biggest drawback with this product is the multiple doses required to supplement a full dose. Sodium ferrogluconate is also one of our cheapest options, has been shown to be safe, um, and it does have one small study for its use in heart failure. However, also requires multiple infusions, even more than iron sucrose. Ferrocarboxymaltose has been shown to be safe in clinical trials, has the most data for its use in heart failure, is convenient, though it currently is a very expensive product, which may limit its use to many healthcare systems. And finally, ferrumoxifol is moderately expensive, does have a box warning for anaphylaxis and a unique interference with um, MRI imaging up to three months, but does have the benefit of convenience with only two required doses. Combining all these factors, this would be my recommendation of product selection in the inpatient setting. My first choice would be iron sucrose, given its cost, literature, and some heart failure studies, and safety. Sodium ferrogluconate is not a routinely stocked product, so while listed second on this list, would really only be a substitute in cases where iron sucrose was on shortage. And finally, for iron dextran, if a patient was going to discharge soon and could um, this could be a good choice when one dose is needed to be supplemented quickly. Ferrocarboxymaltose and ferrumoxifol are not on our inpatient formulary, so I would not choose those um, through Mayo. However, they could be reasonable options if present at our other institutions.
Looking then into the outpatient setting, we have a couple more options with my first line recommendation being iron dextran, um, followed by ferrocarboxymaltose and ferrumoxazole, weighing more heavily on that convenience aspect of these products. Iron sucrose and ferrogluconate could be reasonable options, however, they would be more impractical due to requiring multiple patient visits. Choice in this setting, however, does rely heavily on insurance coverage, which may dictate which product is preferred to use. So this brings us to our final assessment question of the presentation. Following your consultation with GT requiring regarding iron replacement, you both decided to proceed with intravenous iron supplementation. His estimated total iron deficit is 860 milligrams, and he has no known allergies. He is likely to be inpatient for approximately seven days. Question is, which intravenous iron product would you recommend in this situation? Options are A, ferrocarboxymaltose. Option B, iron dextran. Option C, iron sucrose. Or option D, ferrumoxazole. All right, it looks like the answer started to slow down a little bit. Um, and most people went with option C, iron sucrose, which also I would agree would be my first line option in this situation. Talking through the other options for option A and option D, both of these, assuming that we're treating at Mayo, are on our current inpatient um, treatment list, and so they wouldn't be available to us in Mayo. However, at other healthcare institutions, they could certainly be appropriate options to give. Looking at option B for iron dextran, we got a couple responses, and this would also be a reasonable product to give, is convenient in one dose. However, given that our patient is expected to stay for at least seven days, um, my preferred option would be iron sucrose, again, given the cost, um, test, 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 test. and some evidence for its use in heart failure. So to summarize some key takeaways from this presentation, first, both the major heart failure guidelines do recommend checking iron studies in all heart failure with reduced ejection fraction patients and assessing them using our iron defi deficiency definition of transferrin of less than 100 or 100 to 300 and transferrin saturation of less than 20%. Studies of using IV iron in heart failure have shown benefits in exercise capacity, quality of life, and reduced heart failure symptoms, as well as a potential reduction in hospitalization with the use of IV iron in deficient patients. And finally, when choosing an IV iron product to use for our patients, other factors such as cost, care setting, dosing strategy, and safety are important to consider. Although ferrocarboxymaltose does have the most evidence for its use in this population, Cost is a huge barrier to patients, and other products may be preferred. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, subscribe using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Thank you for listening to Mayo Clinic Pharmacy Grand Rounds. Join us weekly for more exciting clinical pharmacology topics.